DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. All right, PK, question up on our Facebook page. How worried are you about competitive balance? The Lakers are back on top. I got to say, PK, I'm not that worried about it. I mean, in, in general, the players making super teams, yeah, I get that that worries people because uh, there's only a handful of markets where they're likely to make a super team, and there's at least half the league, probably two-thirds or three-quarters of the league, isn't going to get a super team. Uh, but with the Lakers... Well, it another... is in our market. That's all that matters. Right, exactly. The one you're in. I don't think Indiana and Denver are getting yeah. super teams either. Uh, we can probably go through a long list of cities. But with the Lakers sure. winning another ta- title, how concerned are you about the competitive balance in the NBA? I think that the, the number of champions and the number of teams that are legitimately competing for a title, I don't think that's changing much. But the number of places where a title team could pop up, that would be the thing to be worried about. But as far as competitive balance, the two or three teams with a legit chance of winning the title and they pass it around and teams have a three- to five-year window where they can compete at that level, I don't, I don't really think that's changing. LeBron's in his mid-30s, and I don't know that the Laker organization's all that competent. I mean, you had the good sense to take LeBron. Okay, good. But when he's done, I think they're going to have another span where they, they try to rebuild until they can get their next star, and it probably won't go that well. It's not like they're they going to already have forever. their next star in Anthony Davis. Mm. No, I think it's very much an issue. Really? I absolutely, yeah, because I think that there'll always be two or three teams. The NBA, NBA is the most predictable of the leagues. That's not the issue. The issue isn't that there'll only be two or three teams that are legitimately competing for the title. Most people can live with San Antonio being a team that was one of those two or three teams for those years in which they won their five titles. We can live with that. They got uh, fortunate in the draft. They did their homework and all that stuff, and they I don't want to say they lucked out. I mean, you can argue they lucked out with Duncan, that's fine, but they didn't luck out with all the other guys that they had, the role players and the great stability in the organization. That's not luck. That's not luck at all, where Popovich had said many times over, we're going to pattern ourselves after the Jazz because they're a similar market and the way they've done things. That's not luck. I think where the issue where it becomes, and it's a, and I believe it's a major issue, is the construction of those two or three teams. Yeah, that and part. the construction was with Miami is that, well, we'll just join up. Me and you will go down there and we'll join him and we'll win. Not one, not two, blah, blah, blah. And here, well, I, it was known in the, I'm telling you, it was known in the league because I told you months before that somebody in the Laker organization told me LeBron's going to come here. All right? And that had nothing to do with anything. You just acknowledged that their, their management isn't very well run, but yet he was going to still go there. And he didn't care. He didn't care that they didn't have players. He didn't care that it was a lousy organization. He didn't care that they were probably going to fire the coach. All the things that we say that the Jazz stand for and do things right, the Laker organization could check none of those boxes, but yet LeBron still went there. And obviously he thinks, well, no matter where I go, we'll be a contender because I'm just that good. Mm -hmm. Fine. But he still needed other players because under his theory of I'm just that good, which he obviously is and has been, they didn't make the playoffs last year. 
year, and I know he's still he had an injury, but we're talking about eight teams, and he couldn't get them there. He still needed help. So what do they do? They take the next big-time player who's approaching free agency, and we'll just get him, and we'll trade a bunch of parts, and we'll get him, and away we go. That's not good for the league. And that's why this is an issue. And I know we're supposed to promote the NBA, blah, blah, blah. But i got to speak my mind here. That's not good for the league. Completely agree with that. That portion is 100% on yeah. board. But that that's why it's an issue, because but, it's going to continue to right. happen. But the question was, with the Lakers winning another title, how concerned are you? I was concerned about that when Durant went to Golden State. I was concerned about that when the Miami Heat got their super team together. Exactly. That has been around. Well, this so, is the same thing. <clears throat> right, so I was already concerned. I wasn't concerned about that because the Lakers... And here's the other thing, and this is where the NBA has got to get a handle on this, is that letting the Lakers tamper with a guy who is under contract and not that close to free agency. (laughs) We're going to find you. I forget what they find. They find magic like a hundred grand, right? And wasn't there another find in there? But it's like, (laughs) Yach just rolled his eyes at me. I didn't do it, Yach. I know you grew up in in Orem and you're a jazz fan through and through, but I didn't do it. But you have a very good point. There's nothing you can do to stop this. Why are you a victim? You can't punish enough to make it stop from happening. Right. See, the problem here is with Golden State and Miami, they checked the boxes, DJ. The Lakers didn't check the boxes, and he still went, and they still won. We can live with Miami because they had strong ownership. They had Pat Riley. We get they had the location and all that stuff, too. Right. And with the Warriors, they had strong ownership. They had a good coach. The Lakers didn't have any of this stuff. Nothing. They've already changed coaches and their management since Jerry Buzz passed obviously went the tank. And anything you hire with with Magic Johnson, if Magic Johnson has to be hands-on every day, let's face it, he's like Carl Malone. He's got an attention span of about 15 minutes and then he moves on through my eyes and then he moves on to the next thing. Right? So we knew the second that magic was brought in, well, this isn't going to end well. It's not going to last because you need grinders. These guys are multi billionaires practically. They're not they're grinders in what they did to achieve, but as far as them sticking with one thing and showing up to work every day like Dennis Lindsay does and basically toil in anonymity to a large extent, that's not who Magic was ever going to be. We knew that the second he was hired. Come on. He wasn't going to be that. And the Lakers checked no boxes as far as what is attractive to free agents outside of the fact that it was Los Angeles. That is not good for the NBA. Even Locke, the most passionate NBA fan there is out there, has to agree. The Warriors situation and the Heat situation, completely and totally different. The Lakers checked no boxes, but yet he still couldn't wait to get there. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Uh, You can weigh in. You can hit us up on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. You can hit us up on Twitter at David DJ James. So you're not so you are more concerned about the Lakers. You weren't already concerned? To me it just yes, Man, the I Laker just ownership. It in great the Laker, detail. But the Laker ownership Yeah, they're not as good as the Warrior and the Heat ownership, but I'm not sure the super teams are that worried about it. 
Is it going to be a problem? Well, obviously, they're not. That That's Durant, the point that I'm making. Is it a problem that Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving went to the Nets because of the Nets' ownership or because Kyrie's all over the place? There's more Kyrie's all over the place. Well, I don't know if Durant is a strong enough force to keep Kyrie in check. He's already ripping coaches. He's already undercutting Steve Nash, who hasn't coached one second at any level, and he's already undercutting. So I don't think that's an issue. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see uh, if the if the Nets win, it's going to be because of other stuff. Not that he, Irving is not a good player, but he's a he's a wide receiver playing in the NBA. He's completely <laughs> and totally a, a diva. And he says things that are outrageous. It's like he needs some form of attention. And he plays the victim over and over again. And let's face it, man, I know we're not allowed to speak certain. We can't, we can't have real discussion. But there are certain folks that get tired of other folks playing the victim all the time. And so one of the things with uh, Irving is that he tends to be the victim. And people grow weary of that. So I'm not so worried about that. I'm worried about the NBA going forward. If you construct your team the way the Spurs constructed it and win five titles, so be it. We'll live with that. But if you construct it the way the Lakers did, that sucks for the rest of the league. It just does, man. And I don't see how you can argue. That's not good. That's not a good product. And I don't want to go into the TV ratings. They're down 70%. And and the president, I think you ought to be worried about other stuff, worrying about gleefully ripping on the NBA. And, and the NBA by itself is acknowledging here. I mean, this is very interesting that what, uh, what they're going to do, Adam Silver has already said about the jerseys and the statements on the floor. As I understand it, they're not going to do that when the season starts. Well, wait a second here. All these problems, they're already solved? I mean, they're in a sense, you can say they're caving in. You did it in the summer of 2020, but then when we get to the winter of 2021, we're not going to do it anymore? Well, what the crap? I mean, why not? The problems that you were standing to try and fight against, they're still there, and you're not going to do it anymore? Well, you can argue, and I don't know that it's true. I don't care about it. it. I have no personal interest. They can put whatever they want on their jerseys. They can put whatever they want on the floor. I'm watching for basketball. I'm not watching for social justice. I, I support social justice as much as the next guy, but when I turn on a game, I want to watch basketball. But you can argue that they're not going to do it because they're caving in. Well, wait a second. They had bad ratings or whatnot. I don't care about that stuff. I watch ball because I'm entertained. That game five was awesome. If every game was like game five, I'd be a kid in a candy store for the rest of my life. So the NBA has issues, and one of the every sport, everybody has issues. They're no different than anybody else. And one of the issues here is that if this continues, and somebody else, LeBron, in two or three years, probably is going to be gone. And there's going to be somebody else. And Anthony Davis, I think, is a superstar in his own right. So he then gets somebody who says, well, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm up. I'm due. I'm going to wind my way out of whatever situation I'm in. Or I'm going to keep my mouth shut and just play out my contract and go sign with Anthony Davis. So then the Lakers win some more. That's not good for the league. I think the casual fan, or not even the casual fan, the hardcore fan of the Jazz, of the Nuggets, of we'll uh, turned Portland off by or that. whomever, yeah. is going to say, forget it. I mean, look at Aldridge. He didn't want to stay with Lillard. He wanted to go to San Antonio. Now, it didn't work out into the level we thought. See, that's the but thing. why wouldn't he want to stay with Portland? Yeah, and so that's the thing that I think will haunt the Lakers here. 
And you can't know for sure. I don't know who it's going to be. But are they going to bring in the right guy when LeBron? LeBron's the right guy. He's been to the finals too many times and won too many titles not to be the right guy. But San Antonio went and got LaMarcus Aldridge. Who are the Lakers going to go get? That's the part about the Laker question that doesn't bug me that much because I figure when LeBron's gone, they'll probably screw it up. But to the well, bigger yeah, issue they're, they're, about... So then they'll screw the, it up for five years. They, they, that, they, they, they right. went 10 years without winning a yeah. title. Come so on. The, but the bigger point about the super teams, if that's what bugs you, I'm 100% on board with that. And it bugged me in Miami, even though they're better run than the Lakers. And it bugged me when Durant went to the Warriors, even though the Warriors had drafted well and were better run. It just bugged me. The, the super teams. At least from a competitive balance standpoint, it made sense for Durant. We talk about guys, well, they want to chase money. They, they, don't want to, they don't value winning as much as the fan does. Well, we see that Durant valued winning. He went there to win and maybe to get away from Westbrook, but he went there to win. Miami, they went there to win. Right, And they did. Both of those organizations went to win. There was nothing that screamed, we're going to win when LeBron came to the Lakers outside of the simple fact that I'm the best, baddest basketball player on earth. But that was it. The other stuff was ready-made to win. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. So he full well knew, all I got to do is get some halfway decent guy and we're good to go. And now... You can say it again going forward, can't you? With with, uh, I think you're underestimating Anthony Davis. I think he has the potential to be a big-time player, and so then maybe you're not going to get another LeBron because those guys don't exist. But you can get two or three other guys, and away you go. They may pull it off, and I will be intrigued to see if they pull it off. But LeBron is such an enormous piece of a championship puzzle. To just think that uh, AD is going to replace him, AD wasn't that close to winning a title in New Orleans. Now, recruiting a player to L.A. is a whole different deal. I get that. But LeBron's an enormous piece of the championship puzzle. So it'll Okay, be, it'll I get be that, a, DJ. And plus, what about, what about New Orleans? We just leave them high and dry. That sucked. And I said at the time, and I believe it to this day, that the way the Lakers were allowed to tamper and leverage him out of there should scare the you-know-what out of 20 other NBA teams. Because if they can do it to him, they can do it to you. We saw Carmelo leverage his way out of Denver. He wanted to go to New York. Well, he got there, you know. Uh, Paul George wanted out of Indiana. So now, if a player decides that's one thing, but when you start allowing other stars and other clubs to blatantly tamper, and I didn't know at the time. Now I do because I watched the finals and I saw the pictures, you know, of uh, of the young AD, um, and so he knew LeBron. I'm like, why did you even have to tamper so publicly? You guys already knew each other and had a relationship. You could have tampered quietly. You're just throwing our face for the pure sport of it. Why couldn't you at least tamper quietly and not let us know? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> That was good. You should have stamped your foot when you said that. It would have been better. But other than that, that was nice. All right, when we come back, a little college football for you. Chris Lowe, ESPN College Football Senior Writer, joins us next. And Yach believes Larry the Laker might be checking in at 9 o'clock, the guy we all love to hate. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. When a team wins the title, usually you get a little bit of celebrating going on, and sometimes that celebration can turn bad. I don't know if you've seen the video of the guy with the fireworks box. It's a box about a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and it's got, I don't know, probably a hundred artilleries that launch out of this box. Somebody lit that on the concourse at the Staples Center, and then another idiot came over, and while that box was firing off artillery, picked it up and put it above his head. Like he's John Cusick can say anything. <laughs> Jason Pierre-Paul's like, bro, hey. maybe dial that down a little bit. <laughs> That's dangerous, as he points with his pinky. I get it, go celebrate, but we are in a pandemic and fireworks are dangerous. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Seven five and twelve eighty the zone. We're joined now by Chris Lowe, ESPN College Football senior writer. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Chris, good morning. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. So we couldn't help but notice uh, you're on a BYU Zoom call, and I'm curious, you're obviously working on something here, and I'm curious, is BYU a story because they're a really good team, or are they a story because uh, about half of college football isn't playing right now? I just think they're a good story, period. I mean, think about what a weekend of August, what they have about three or four games on their schedule, and... Um, Give them credit. Give the administration credit for putting together a schedule in, in just a, a matter of weeks. But those kids have hung in there. I mean, think about putting yourself in those kids' position at that point. You're, you're working. You've been working all off season. You're getting ready to go to the practice field, and you've got at that point your schedule's crumbling. You only got three or four games. But and give Kalani credit, you know, for keeping that team together and continuing to work. You get to this point. Granted, a schedule. Hasn't been killer to this point, but outside this last week against UTSA, they've been dominant. You know, in their first three games, and here they are four zero with a chance. And clearly, I think Houston's the toughest test to date on Friday, the game on the road. But uh, this is a team that I don't think you know you would say that you're out of your mind to think they could go unbeaten this year. And that's uh, regardless of what the schedule is or isn't. That would be a pretty uh, pretty impressive accomplishment for a team that, you know, <laughs> again, didn't even have more than three games back in August. Yeah, it really is such an unusual story and a most unusual season, obviously. How much, you've already alluded to, that the schedule hasn't been world beaters, we understand that, but how much does Houston this week, followed in a few weeks by Boise State, and then at the conclusion of the season, San Diego State do for you? Well, it gives it gives BYU a chance against quality teams to show that the way they've looked for the most part this year is who they are. You know, Zach Wilson's had a great start. I, mean, I think the way he's 
been more consistent. The way he's taken care of the football shows, you know, how much he's improved as a player. And clearly, there's a lot of confidence in him, the guys around him. But to go on the road and beat a Houston, to go on the road and beat a Boise State, um, and then follow that up and beat San Diego State. Now, I'm not dissing Western Kentucky or Texas State because as we saw last week against UTSA, anything can happen. And I think this year, as you look around college football period, we've already seen some weirdness, and we're going to see some more weirdness because of how little time teams have had on the practice field together. Um, it, it's just it's a given. So, But I think to, to go on the road again, and, and if they can get it done against Houston and Boise State and beat San Diego State, those are three quality teams, and I think would give BYU certainly more, much more credibility, you know, if they do go unbeaten, you know, to beat teams of that stature. So that would put BYU at 10-0, and assuming all the games get played and they don't lose one to COVID, and assuming that Tom Homa doesn't add another game, which Tom has said, you know, he's still open to, it could happen. But assuming they're at 10-0 and and it's the schedule that we see in front of us now, a lot of Cougar fans would like a big bowl game, a quality opponent. Do you think they have any shot at a playoff or a New Year's Six? Or money, power, relationships, tradition come into play, and they're on the outside looking in? Uh, New Year's Six, possibly. No way with the playoff. I mean, unless we just have other chaos and everybody's got three losses, you know, or, or more. Uh, the Big Ten beats up on each other. The SEC. I, I just don't see what that schedule. And again, it's, it's no. It's not this in BYU. I mean, I, and, and who knows? I mean, what if they go in and they just are just completely dominant the rest of the way and beat everybody by three or four touchdowns? You know, then they get they at least put themselves in a position to be in a conversation at that point. But I think realistically, I don't think they would have much chance in the playoff bid. But I think a New Year's Six bowl game would be realistic. And uh, I think so much of it depends, too. This year, more than ever, I think style points are going to be critical because everybody's playing, for the most part, conference-only schedules. And so, you know, once we get into to November and even on into December, I think a lot, of pe- a lot of people are going to look back and say, well, how'd they look against this team or what they do against that team? So that's why, again, the three teams you just mentioned – they're, they're still on BYU's schedule, the three best teams, Houston, Boise State, and San Diego, San Diego State. I think for BYU to have a chance at some of these things you asked, not only do they need to win, but they probably need to be impressive in winning. Same thought for the Pac-12. If they have a 7-0 and team, does that 7-0 and team need style points to get into the playoff? Yeah, and they, and they probably need to be – they're going to need some help. They're going to need – you know, and you're already sort of seeing this a little bit in the Big 12. You know, Oklahoma and Texas, I mean, both of those teams have looked at – I mean, they can't stop anybody. You know, and they look pretty average. You know, so if you continue to have carnage in that league, you know, Oklahoma State's unbeaten, but they still got their toughest games coming up, then that helps the Pac-12. Um you know, I don't. I don't see anybody in the ACC beating Clemson. I really don't. Maybe Notre Dame, but you can almost pencil Clemson in in the playoff one spot. Somebody in the SEC is going to get in. The champion's going to get in. You know, do two in the SEC get in? Well, what? Let's say, what if Georgia and Alabama play a really good game this weekend, 
and one wins, and then they play again in the SEC championship game and the other wins, I'd, I'd have to think both of those would be in. You know, and, and the Big Ten's going to crank it up this coming weekend. I, I still think Ohio State might be, and we're going to find out on the field, might be player for player the most talented team in college football, and they got to go out and prove that. So it's hard for me to believe that they, or certainly the Big Ten champion, doesn't get in. So that doesn't leave a lot of spots. For the Pac-12, I mean, I think it, at the very least, it's got to be a, an unbeaten Pac-12 team that has a chance. But I think playing so few games is probably going to hurt them. So is Oklahoma State going to get beat a couple times? Because everybody else in the Big 12 has, and you know, two losses typically, maybe this year will be different, but typically two losses knocks you out, and Oklahoma State's already the Big 12's last threat. Yeah, I, I think everybody in the Big 12 will have two losses when it's all said and done. Now, at least one, but I think there's a good chance they'll have everybody will have at least two. And as I said a minute ago, if you have that type of carnage in the Big 12, then it's hard for me to see them getting in. But what if what happens in the SEC if everybody beats up on everybody? We've already seen some crazy things happen in the SEC. Alabama's not, certainly not what they used to be defensively. You know, Ole Miss made them look just embarrassingly bad last week. So what if they lose a couple of games? What if Georgia loses a couple more? Um, or I say a couple more. What if they lose a couple? You know, I think this year more than ever, because of all this happened, and so little practice time on the field together, no spring practice for most of these teams, uh, that you're going to see things happen and outcomes and results that we just didn't see coming in August. And I think we've already seen some of that. We're going to see some more of that. And I don't think anybody's going to be immune to it. And uh, if you said who's the team right now in the Power 5 leagues, I think that I would go to Vegas and put the most money on that's going to be unbeaten, I'd say Clemson, just because I don't see anybody in the ACC that's on their level. But outside of Clemson, you know, I, I would be very surprised if anybody else in the Power Five leagues gets through unscathed. I was just going to ask you, you know, we know in the Pac-12 they have a lot of high-flying offenses, and the Big 12 just has not played defense, it seems like, for a number of years. But you well, know, that Alabama defense, defense really, right really surprised <laughs> me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Is, is, is this a trend? The right now either. Right, I know. And and that, that Alabama thing just shocked me. Is this something that we can expect? You know, I think the game has changed one. It's faster. It's spread out. Uh, teams are using tempo better than they ever have. It's hard now for defenses to get lined up. You can't substitute and play substitution situational football on defense as, easy, as much as you used to. Uh, I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is that we just this it's this year. You know, I think the defenses. Uh, I've heard talk to coaches who aren't complete and are completely in agreement with me on this. But I think defenses maybe are a little bit ahead this year because you just you know offense is a lot about timing and precision and quarterbacks working all off season with the receivers and you know being on the same page. I think that's a part of it. You know, ball security. Teams haven't tackled and hit as much this year as they have in the past. So 
We've seen some turnovers and some sloppy plays. You know, I'll go back to some of the penalties we've seen. You know, just dumb penalties, pre-snap penalties. I think all that is sort of a result of of a year unlike anything we've seen in the preseason and no spring practice. So I think it's all of the above. And it's, um, you know, it's just, again, the, 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 it's changed. And you, you're going to see that. You're going to see a team like Ole Miss. And let's, look, let's give Lane Kiffin some credit. The guy is phenomenal when it calls to calling plays and getting offense ready and, and he thinks outside the box. You know, but for, for Ole Miss to put up that many points and that many yards, on a defense like Alabama that's recruited as well as they've recruited over the years tells you how much the game has changed over the last few years. So one thing that's changed this year, the shoe's really on the other foot with conference schedules. A Pac-12 team that usually plays nine is only going to play seven. An SEC school that usually plays eight is playing ten. Now the two leagues that play eight conference games, the ACC and the SEC, they get into the tournament every year. The leagues that play nine, the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the Pac-12, they're the leagues you usually take a hit and have somebody left out. And the, and the Big Ten's fortunes changed when they went from eight to nine games. So are we going to see in the long run the ACC and the SEC think, hey, this playing more conference games, this really works, and their TV partners are going to say, hey, this really works. We're getting good ratings with these games. Or are they going to go back to gaming the system and playing eight conference games? Well, I mean, some, some there are some advocates for playing more league games in the SEC. Nick Saban, for several years, yep. has said we ought to play at least nine. Now, skeptics say, well, of course you would say that. He's got the best team. But he's advocated for that for a while. Um, I think most of your mid-tier teams in the SEC don't want to do that because they think it would hurt them as far as being eligible for a bowl game. If they went to nine games, you know, the biggest problem – with some of the Pac-12 teams, as you've seen some really good teams over the last few years. Uh, take Oregon last year. Oregon was a good football team. They win the Pac-12. But you know what killed them is they lost that first game to Auburn. You know, a, a, a neutral site game, and Auburn ended up being okay last year, but they weren't in the SEC championship game. I think it's those kind of losses out of conference that the committee, the playoff committee, looks at, and fairly or unfairly, holds against the Pac-12. But um, I'd like to see, personally, you asked me my opinion, I'd like to see all the leagues play more league games. I don't think it's representative representative enough in the SEC that they only play eight games. And you have schools, heavyweights like a Georgia and Alabama, that don't play very often. I'd like to see Georgia and Alabama play, if not every year, every couple years. And you go long stretches in the SEC because of the scheduling format where teams like that don't play a lot. Yeah, absolutely agreed on that one. You know, there's talk about the colleges, and obviously we'll just deal with football since this is what we have you with right now, that they'll be granted, the players, the athletes will be granted a one-time transfer situation here in time for the 2021 season. We already see transfers being such a big deal. Going forward, what type of impact do you think the one free get-out-of-jail transfer card will have, what effect it will have on college football? Uh, First of all, I would say that the way we've seen players' voices heard more so than ever in college sports, it's more just a move in that area. And I, and I think probably in theory it's good. I mean, if a kid has a situation at a school, you know, it's just not working out or 
it's it's not what works for him or, or he's unhappy or needs to get back closer to home, then I think kids should be able to transfer, you know. And, you know, coaches come and go. And I understand they're employees, but they come and go. And they're also, you know, vulnerable in that they can get fired too. But I also think the other side of this is, does it become a little bit of a version of free agency? You know, we're going to see kids that, you know, if you're moved, say, if, if the kids move from corner to free safety, for instance, he says, you know what? I'm not a safety. I'm a cornerback. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can be a cornerback. Is that a reason for a kid to be able to transfer without having to sit out a year? Or if he gets mad at his position coach because he thinks his position coach is coaching him too hard. And I'm not talking about abusing him or bullying him and that kind of stuff. That's There's no place for any of that in any, in any sport. But does it give a kid an out just because there's something he doesn't like, you know, there's something that is happening within the team that he feels like's not best for him, you know, so I'm going to pick up my ball and go to play somewhere else. I mean, I, that's the part that I'm a little skeptical about, but you guys know this. Anytime you change rules and there can be four or five things that you look at, like kids having the flexibility to transfer something that's legitimately not right, that you say, this is, this is good. These three or four things are really good. But there's always that unintended consequence that maybe we don't think about or we, we don't fully wrap our hands around that two or three years down the road, you say, wait a minute now. Well, we really have opened Pandora's box here. He's Chris Lowe. You can read him at ESPN.com, college football senior writer. Chris, we appreciate a few minutes talking college football. Thanks for coming on with us. You bet, guys. Thanks for having me. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, if you haven't seen it, everybody's talking about it. And once you have seen it, it's really hard to take your eyes off it. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered as the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. We gotta go faster, faster! Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day! 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. Zero Res has proven in lab tests to remove more dirt and soils than other methods. Their powered water cleaning means no soap, no shampoos, and no toxic chemicals. Schedule your Zero Res cleaning today by calling them at 801-288-9376. PK, the video's out there on social media. You ever want to go hiking in the uh, Wasatch Mountains? Yes. And be confronted by a cougar? No. No, thank you. Not at all. I can. That's a hard pass. Go in a groove and make a lot of noise. Don't go by yourself and scare a cougar. Well, that's why I always bring my guns with me. You know, of course, I'm talking my biceps. I've never actually even held a gun or shot a gun, so I wouldn't know what never? to do with that situation. But I do know people. No, no, I've never, never. Nope. We need nope. to rectify uh, this. Never. Well. Uh, you know, we're, we're products of our environment. My father never did, so I never did. And it, it wasn't, wasn't a, we, we didn't do very many things for, uh, I don't want to say luxury, but, uh, 
uh, we just didn't have the money to do those things. I don't know how much it would cost anyway. I really have no idea. But no, I've never been involved in that. But I do know people in my neighborhood that do carry firearms when they go in those situations. You know, because there's a lot of trails out where I live. Uh, I'm sure we're, where all of us live, really. And if we don't live by them, we're just a few minutes away. And so they do that. Yeah, and that video has been all over the place. I, but this morning it was on uh, national, uh, CBS Morning News. Uh, have you ever had any form of encounters with uh, anything outside of the zoo, which doesn't count? Yeah. <laughs> I came face-to-face with a moose once, and I was terrified. True, uh, true story. Yeah, mul- oh, yeah. multiple things. Uh, so uh, hiking uh, um, in the Cottonwood Canyons going towards Sunset Peak. Now, deer I doesn't count. Came around a corner, and there was a moose. And he was, I don't want to say domesticated, because that's a terrible thing to say about a wild animal, but he was not at all interested in the presence of people. He was off the path. He was eating. It's a well-traveled trail, and this moose had clearly been in that area and seen people on the trail. And so my son and I stayed on the trail, and, I mean, he picked up his head and looked at us, but I just... I don't know. You just you get it. the vibe. It's just like he just didn't seem interested in us at all. And we were close enough. If he'd seem interested, I would. Uh, I would have soiled myself. <laughs> we were. We came around the corner and did not know he was going to be there. Like, Whoa. Okay. Uh, but he. Didn't I think seem everybody's there. had an encounter with mooses around yeah. here. Then uh, I told you I was uh, hiking Jack's Peak, which is kind of between Immigration and Parley's, and. And it's not a long trail. I mean, some a couple hours you can get there. It's like seventy five hundred feet, and it's, I don't know, maybe you gain three thousand feet in the trail. And uh, but there was a rattlesnake on the trail, like ninety five percent of the way to the top. And I didn't hear it right away. I heard a noise, but I was thinking about something, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh, that's a rattlesnake!" And I looked up, and he was on the trail, maybe. 25 yards in front of me, 20 yards in front of me, and he was coiled, and he knew I was coming. He heard my footsteps. He felt them, whatever, snakes with the vibration with the ground. And I was like, yeah, and snakes creep me out. <laughs> I think those are common. I think snakes and moose. Moose, I saw the most area. common things, yeah. Most folks have had it. Now, I've been golfing a number of times with moose. I saw, uh, we were with Monson's. And uh, we're at uh, Mountain Dell where you see moose a lot. Mm-hmm. And a moose came out of, on the uh, canyon course. And a moose came out of the little shrubbery area and just sprinted across the fairway. Startled you for a second, but he was busy trying to get somewhere. And then just this summer, I came across, and I put it on Facebook, a moose with a baby moose. We're sitting on the lake course on back nine, like hole 15 or so, 14 or 15. And they were both just sitting there. And I kept my eye on that one moose the whole time mm-hmm. not the baby but the mama right and they just sat there but i've been on that many times one time at park city i was there and i saw the biggest moose i'd ever seen on a whole eight and he just walked across the green i mean he was huge just huge and i hit a great chip shot and i was with another uh, we were with the four of us there's another couple and the women the, the darn thing near, nearly went in, and they didn't say good shot. And I was wondering why, because right over my left, about 10 feet away, was this massive moose crossing through the green, and they didn't want to startle it. I did get a little nervous there. And then, of course, you guys know I came face-to-face with a Doberman that savagely bit me. Oh, yeah, I was bitten by a dog when I was a kid. It's never fun. A Doberman? No. Doberman would be rough. Doberman would be rough. 
more Jason intimidating Fletch, dog buddy, than, about Doberman. More intimidating dog than a Doberman? Maybe a Rottweiler. Uh, a a Rottweiler, a pit bull. Yeah, the Doberman's pretty intimidating dog. It's pretty pretty intimidating dog. Yeah, but nothing nothing like that cougar video. Uh, I've had nothing like that. Where the the animal's confronting and pursuing. No, I haven't seen that. Nothing remotely like that. I guess that's why the video is so good, because most people haven't seen it. Most people have this experience like, whoa. I did see an animal kind of confront, but they were toying. You know, the animal smarter than the people by a mile. Uh, my wife and I were driving, and we were going down uh, the street, and there were some empty lots, and it's where... Um, you know, the, the, the hills and the, the city are kind of coming together. And there was an empty lot. And we see yeah. all these cars pulled over and people out. But we're going the other way. And we were screened off by some trees. We couldn't see. But when we got past it, it had to slow down just because it got really narrow the way people were pulling over. And it wasn't – there's was just barely two lanes to move. And so you're slowing down because there's oncoming traffic. And my wife looks over her shoulder and she goes, is that, a, is that moose or an elk? And I can't see it because I'm driving. And we pull over for a second, and there's this lady. And, and quickly, I'm more transfixed by the lady than the animal. And the thing has its head down, so it's big, but you can't really see it. And it's clearly eating the vegetation in this empty lot. And the la- there's, there's a lot of people like on the sidewalk across the street. And, and realistically, they're too close. But this lady crosses the street and then starts into the lot. So she's way closer. And the thing starts to pick up his head and like looks and she stops and it goes back down to eat and then you start to see the head come up a second time as she starts moving in closer to get a to get a photo and it and it takes one step and fake charges her and she just takes off and then it goes right back to eating it was just toying with her like listen you people are bugging me but if you stay back you shouldn't be that close but I'll be okay with it but now you've crossed the line lady totally intimidated her it was hilarious Ooh. yeah we didn't get out of the car I want no part of that thanks I don't, I don't need anything that weighs 2,000 pounds charging me. Nope. I'm out. <laughs> All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Gabe Gomez joining us from Syringa Networks, home to complete telecom and IT solutions. Gabe, just curious, you do more telecom work or you do more IT work or is it pretty much split 50-50? What do people need these days? Well, we do a fair – the lion's share of our business is telecom work, but we've seen an increase in folks wanting IT consultation and IT services given that um, the way things have changed so much, uh, people weren't necessarily prepared for remote workers and some of the other um, IT-related things that came up as a result of, of this pandemic. So right now we're seeing a, a, a sharp increase in, in, in demand for IT services. And you're available around the clock, so uh, whether people are night owls or early morning people or working weekends or dealing with a different time zone, you're there for them when things uh, yeah, get, get, uh, get all haywire? That is correct. Yeah, that's one of the, uh, the, uh, the, the really nice things about Syringa Networks. We're committed to having local uh, technical support that's available around the clock, no matter uh, what time of day you call or even if you call on holidays, uh, you'll get a live person answering the phone that's trained uh, and, and able to help you with whatever your problems are. 
So early on, did you have people looking for temporary solutions and now people who are setting into a more permanent situation who need more uh, hardware or software? Yeah, we did. We had a, quite a few folks, like everyone else, thought that this would blow over fairly quickly. And when it didn't, we had a lot of individuals wanting to uh, do this on a full-time basis. So we were able to help a lot of folks transition over to, to making this, uh, this remote workforce and other type of things like this uh, the norm for them. Well, how can business owners and uh, workers get a hold of you and, and get the help they need? Yeah, the best way is to go to our website at www.syringanetworks.net. Uh, there you'll find all kinds of resources, white papers, uh, articles, and things of that nature that are certainly helpful hints and tips on IT and security and telecommunications, and it has all kinds of information as to how to get a hold of us. He's Gabe Gomez, Syringa Networks. Find him at syringanetworks.net. That's syringanetworks.net. Thanks, Gabe. Thank you.